0: welcome everybody uh welcome to wednesday night at the khabura uh for those listening on youtube welcome for those listening on the podcast welcome please do make sure you've subscribed leave your comments and do please leave a rating preferably a good one um we are very very honored to have with us a very special guest um i came across rabbi daniel Rosalar about four years ago um uh, it was actually an article that I had read online, and then Rabbi Dwek uh, came and spoke at Alef his his uh, Bet Knesset. I think the first time was probably two years ago, um, and uh, ever since, more
1: probably yeah. it's probably a bit more
0: than that, right? Three years ago, maybe. Yeah. Um, and what was very uh, telling for me about Rabbi Daniel Rosela was the fact that modern Orthodoxy in the United Kingdom is very much uh, um, growing to be a force to be reckoned with, and it's leaders like Rabbi Rozella who have really helped uh, develop modern orthodoxy here in the UK, uh, and uh, we're, we're very honoured to have him here tonight, uh, and recently we had actually a Chaburah Shabbaton in Hendon, and we were very honoured that uh, al Sion was one of the uh, shuls that hosted Rabbi Dwek our Rosh Bet Midrash, and a beautiful Sauda Shalishit that we had here Uh, at Al with uh, some, uh, you know, local communities joining as well. Tonight's topic is the status status of Makhalei Shabbat in contemporary times. We know that according to the Talmud and the Shulchan Aruch, desecrators of Shabbat should be regarded as apostates. For the past 200 years, a lack of Shabbat observance doesn't necessarily indicate a disbelief in the Almighty. So what we're doing tonight with Rabbi Rosela is seeing how major poskim have dealt with this issue and the many halachic implications. Rabbi Rosala is the Rav of Kelat al in Hendon, London. He studied at Ishivat Hal etzion in Israel under Rav Aaron Lichtenstein and Rav Yehuda Amital. He has semicha from the Chief Rabbinate of Israel and an MA in Jewish Education from London University. He posts a short halakhashur or most dates on most days on yutorah.org. Rabbi Rosala, we're very honoured to have you here, and uh, we're looking forward to you being a regular on the Chaburaz platform. So, b'chabod, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much, and good evening, everybody. Uh, appreciate that very warm welcome, and uh, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to learn and uh, teach Torah together with you all this evening. B'chol V'atar, Wherever everybody finds themselves, I understand that uh, I'm speaking tonight to a fairly global uh, audience. So the topic, as uh, we've already heard, the topic that I want to discuss is the status of uh, Machalalei Shabbat, Shabbat desecrators, uh, in the current uh, context. And the reason why I chose this topic uh, in particular is because it's interesting from two perspectives. It's interesting from a, a straightforward halachic perspective. I want to know what the halacha is. I want to know what the din is as far as uh, machalalei shabbat are concerned, um, the halachic implications, uh, whether I can uh, count them towards a minyan, whether I can drink the wine that they touch, uh, whether I can eat the food that they uh, cook, etc., etc. Um, So that's one reason why I want to uh, look at this uh, this sugya. I need to know the halakha. The second reason why I chose to uh, learn this sugya with you this evening is because it's very interesting in terms of the development of uh, halakha over the course of the uh, past uh, 200 years or so. And uh, it's interesting to see how various uh, poskim or as perhaps we would say this evening, Posse Kim uh, would say, um, that, uh, you know, how they've approached this issue in response to uh, changing sociological conditions. Uh, very often we talk about um, contemporary halakhic issues. Uh, indeed, in uh, my own shul, I give a, a weekly share on contemporary halakhic issues, and I've spoken uh, many times in many contexts about uh, contemporary halakhic uh, Issues. And one of the observations that I often make is that uh, what is it that makes something uh, a contemporary issue rather than a timeless issue? Um, you know, Many halakhic issues are timeless. Whether or not uh, I have to repeat Yaleviavo, Leviavo or repeat the Katamazon if I missed out Ya is a timeless question. That's not a contemporary question. What makes something a contemporary question? So it's either something which is new technologically, heart transplants, for example, organ donations. These are things that didn't exist uh, uh, 100 years ago. So it's a contemporary uh, halachic issue, or sometimes it's uh, a changed sociological context which turns it into being a contemporary issue in terms of there's nothing mechanically uh, new in the situation, But it's the environment in which we find ourselves, which is uh, going to define this as being a contemporary issue rather than necessarily a a timeless issue. And what we're going to see is that uh, this is very much a contemporary issue and the post Kim have responded to the uh, uh, to the challenges uh, of the era or the eras in different in different ways and one states this with uh, with caution, but I think this is uh, often true in a halachic context. Um, sometimes one can uh, approach matters from an entirely uh, clinical uh, perspective without having uh, an end goal in mind, and in other instances, um, the uh, halachic uh, decisors might well have an end goal in mind, and what they're looking for is to see if they can. Um, marshal sufficient uh, sources to uh, support their journey towards that uh, end goal. And I would suggest that in this case, um, both for those who take a stringent approach and for those to take a lenient approach, um, that uh, both uh, parties or both camps, in actual fact, have uh, to a large degree an end goal uh, in sight. So that much uh, is by way of uh, introduction. And I want to start, actually, not with the very first uh, source uh, on the uh, Dath karot, which uh, you should be able to see, but uh, the fourth uh, source, which is uh, from the Shulchan Aruch, Orachayim Simen Shin Peihei. This is in Hilchot Eruvin. So the specifics of the, uh, the halakha, um in Eruvin are not uh, particularly important uh, to us at present. It's to do with the notion of what we call Schirat uh, Rashut or Bittel uh, Rashut, if you've got an area in which uh, Jews and Gentiles alike are, uh, are resident. Um, and uh, the Shulchan Aruch there tells us um, that Yisrael Mumar, that's a Jew who is a Mumar, that is usually translated as being a, an apostate, uh, a Jew who has uh, abandoned Judaism and has become an idolater or a Shabbat desecrator. even if they are uh, transgressing Shabbat, breaking Shabbat only uh, as far as rabbinic prohibitions are concerned, such a person has the status of a Gentile. If the person only desecrates Shabbat in private, but not in public, writer, even if uh, they desecrate Shabbat uh, on a biblical level, Israel, they've got the status of a, of a Jew for all matters and Mavatel and therefore in the uh, context of Hilkot when they can be Mavattel Rishut, they can uh, say that uh, their territory within the Eruv of is, uh, is subsumed by, by everybody else's. Um, so what we see from this passage in Shulchan Aruch is that a mechalel Shabbat mafar hestia, somebody who publicly desecrates Shabbat, has the status of uh, of an idolater, status of a, a gentile. Bitul um, Rashut, as far as an of concern is concerned, is not a matter that comes up all the time, but uh, certain other matters uh, definitely do. If we look in Orach uh, Simon Nun Hayis, if you dalav. The Shulchan Aruch tells us a transgressor who transgresses in whatever way it might be, if they haven't been excommunicated, they can be counted towards a minyan for a tefillah. So you have a person who perhaps is a person who doesn't keep kosher. Uh, so they can still be counted uh, Towards uh, towards the Minyan, if we look in the Mishnah Brura, his comments there, the Mishnah Brura says, "Katav haPeri Davka Avera So we're only talking about you know a person who is uh, transgressing because they've got a they've got a tither to eat non-kosher food. They uh, they're not transgressing as an act of re- calculated rebellion against the Almighty. They're uh, transgressing because they have a Yitzharah. They're transgressing because uh, uh, eating the Big Mac or whatever it is is more important to them at this point in time than keeping the laws of the Torah. But they aren't saying that uh, they totally disregard the laws of the Torah. But if on the other hand, they are abandoning mitzvot uh, as an act of rebellion, and even if it's just with one matter, then even if it's just with one matter, or that they've uh, converted, apostatized to idolatry, or they've become a public Shabbat desecrator, then they've got the din of an Akum, and they don't count towards a minion. So we're seeing that in a halachic sense, we're saying that a person who is a Shabbat desecrator doesn't count towards a minion. Such a person is regarded as an Akum Lecholdavah, they're regarded as a uh, as a gentile as far as this is concerned. Now, obviously, um this is a um a challenging um halachic uh, situation uh in many contexts. If one lived um back in uh Vilna 250 years ago or Algiers possibly over, over, only 150 years ago, um, then people knowing that, uh, that if they break Shabbat publicly, they will have the status of being an Akum and essentially they won't be able to participate in Jewish religious life. Um, that very often um, had a disincentive effect and uh, prevented people from breaking Shabbat. Bavonotenu Harabim, unfortunately, nowadays, we find ourselves living in an environment and an era where Chilul Shabbat is very, very widespread. Uh, indeed, in some communities outside of the, uh, the major centers, uh, you'll have entire shuls and communities, Batekanesiot, uh, where almost nobody is Shabbat uh, observant for one reason or another. If we were to take um, this uh, statement of the Mishnah brurah and other poskim uh, as the final words on the matter, then we would find that in uh, certain uh, communities outside of the major centres, and essentially they might be having services on Shabbat, they might even have uh, a daily minyan, but uh, it seems that uh, everything is batelum uh, of Utal, and that everything is halakhically meaningless because you've got uh, 200 Jews in the synagogue, none of whom have the uh, halakhic status of being Jewish, they have the halakhic status of being ka'akum, of being like a, an idolater. There's some discussion whether they are idolaters or they're like idolaters. It doesn't make any difference. You haven't got a minyan asara there. You don't have a, a minyan of people there. Um, the disincentive factor is entirely, uh, is entirely absent. Uh, standing up uh, from the pulpit in front of the Aaron HaKodesh and announcing that uh, we have a major problem here. Um, everybody is uh, Mechal Shabbat. We don't have a minyan. We can't continue with the service. It's not going to have the effect of uh, Ezra HaSofer speaking uh, to the Jewish people in exile. Um, it's just going to uh, disenfranchise people from any association with uh, Orthodox uh, Judaism. So how one should proceed um, necessitates us to learn through the entire Surya and start off by asking ourselves, where do we get this Halakha from? That um, is like an Akum. So this we need to look at the first source on our, uh, on our handout. This is Gomorrah uh, Masechet Chulin talking about uh, issues of Korbanot, again, the specifics and the contexts aren't uh, important to us uh, this evening, but uh, the Gemara cites uh, a brighter. It says, mikem." Uh, we talk about bringing korbanot and korbanot are offered mikem from amongst you, mikem, and we understand that to mean from from some of you, not kulchem, but not everybody is able to bring a korban, not shumad. That excludes somebody who is. Uh, or uh, older texts of the, the Gemara, which uh, were uh, redacted by the census, say, a uh, mumar, uh, uh, but uh, a person who's an apostate uh, can't bring a korban. So this applies to you, to the Jewish people, doesn't apply to the umot olam. Umot olam, anybody can bring a korban. Minha bahema. And you bring this korban min behema from the animals, adam um, And that includes people who are in a spiritual sense uh, compared to animals. And kablin korbanot In actual fact, we accept korbanot from sinners, Jewish sinners. Why? Because even though there could be theological and theoretical grounds for pushing them away. We actually want... We want them to repent. We want to open the gates of uh, accessibility to them. Uh, we want to uh, allow them to uh, engage in Jewish uh, religious life so that they should uh, improve their ways, correct their ways. With the exception of an apostate, a person who uh, pours libations of wine for Avodasara and Mechalel Shabbatot Mefarhesia, a person who desecrates Shabbat in uh, in public, um, why a Meshumad and a Minaseh should be excluded is quite clear to us. Such people have obviously uh, excluded themselves from uh, from the Jewish people. But why should it be that Mechalel uh, Shabbat Mefarhesia is, uh excluded from uh from uh bringing the Korbanot, why is he essentially regarded in the same bracket as the Meshumad and the manasse so let's look at rashi rashi says and we'll just look at the uh the ends there of the rashi three, uh, the two lines from the end the reason why this Tana uh regards Shabbat as being as uh as awful and as terrible as avodat kohavim, because the person who uh, worships idols is uh, rejecting hakadosh baruch hu. shabbat kofe and likewise, a person who uh, desecrates Shabbat is rejecting and denying the work of hakadosh baruch hu. made shekes shabbat hakadosh baruch hu and they are giving false testimony, uh, implying, indicating that they don't believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu uh, rested on the seventh day of uh, creation as the culmination of the creation of the world. Shabbat observance is all about um, uh, testifying uh, and uh, demonstrating our belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu as creator of the world. And a person who doesn't observe Shabbat is uh, thereby stating implicitly that they don't believe that Akel Shmuel created the world in uh, in seven days, however one understands that seven days. But uh, they're stating they don't uh, they don't believe that, and uh, therefore they're disassociating themselves with uh, a major tenet of uh, of Jewish, uh, of Jewish belief. Let's also look at uh, the Rambam. The Rambam, at the very end of Hilchot Shabbat, right at uh, the end of Hilkot Shabbat, he says, Both Shabbat and idolatry are equal in uh, severity to all the other mitzvot in the Torah. And Shabbat is an eternal sign between the Almighty and between us. So a person who transgresses any other mitzvah is a wicked Jew. But a person who breaks Shabbat is like an, uh, publicly is like Is like a person who has uh, um, uh, committed idolatry. And both the uh, uh, idolater and Mechalel uh, Shabbat, they are like Gentiles for all uh, all halachic uh, purposes. So we see, so far, we see the uh, the, the the source for this uh, uh, this equivalence, uh, or for this uh, ruling that Mechalel uh, Shabbat has the status of an idolater. Um, the Gomorrah in Masechet there's a uh, similar uh, passage in Masechet of And we see that both uh, Rashi and the Rambam are explaining to us that the reason is because uh, Shabbat observance is testimony to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creator of the world, and a person who doesn't uh, observe Shabbat is uh, implying that they're not, uh, that they... They de- declined to testify that Akhadas Barhu is the creator of the uh, of the world. So, of course, that is um, one of our very important uh, points, because it was definitely true in the times of uh, Chazal and uh, the times of the Rishonim as well, that uh, where you know almost the whole world was. Uh, religious in uh, one sense uh, or another Um, and a person who opted not to observe Shabbat was usually making a, certainly a person who opted not to observe Shabbat in public, was making a theological statement uh, about their belief in in God and uh, God's uh, powers and uh, God's actions. The big question is and this is uh, perhaps the, uh, the key point in this uh, shiur tonight. Is that necessarily true today? Does a uh, contemporary Michalel Shabbat, has a contemporary Michalel Shabbat considered the matter in depth and come to the conclusion that they don't believe in uh, the Almighty as creator of the world and therefore there's no point in uh, breaking Shabbat? In observing Shabbat, or are there other reasons why they are breaking Shabbat? And uh, if it's uh, if it's true that there are other reasons why they're breaking Shabbat, then we have to ask ourselves: Does that make any difference from a halachic perspective? Uh, maybe uh, we're not darshinam uh, tamadikra. Maybe you know, even though the uh, the facts on the grounds have changed, maybe the halacha. Hasn't uh, changed or shouldn't be applied uh, differently. So I now want to look at a number of um, uh, acharonim, not in chronological order, but uh, in a thematic order, and to see how they have uh, addressed this uh, this question. Um, you will forgive me; I'm going to be um, uh, Ashkenazi centric. Um, this evening, in terms of most of the sources I'm citing are Ashkenazim, uh, there are two reasons for this. Uh, One is because that's my halakhic uh, background, uh, so I'm more familiar with, or uh, overwhelmingly more familiar with uh, the Ashkenazi halakhic tradition rather than the uh, Sfadi halakhic tradition, Uh, but also uh, because I did try to do some... uh, research uh, from a Sfadi halachic perspective. And uh, as I'll mention to you uh, during the course of the year, I could find a uh, very limited reference to it uh, in the uh, Sfadi Poskim that I'm uh, familiar with. Uh, it might be that uh, others uh, discuss it, um, but uh, um, to a lesser degree, um, certainly to a much lesser degree than the, uh, the Ashkenazim. I suspect... Um, that the reason for this is because this wasn't uh, historically, going back 150 years, 200 years, um, I suspect this wasn't such a problem in uh, Sephardic communities as it was in uh, Ashkenazic communities. Ashkenazi communities in in Europe, um, you know, they were hemorrhaging uh, as far as uh, observance was concerned. We think of the uh, pre-Shawa era, as being the golden age of, uh, uh, of orthodoxy. But uh, that wasn't true. You know, it's, uh, orthodoxy in many places had become a, a minority uh, pursuit uh, long before that. And even in places where it wasn't a minority pursuit, um, you know, there was widespread uh, Hillel Shabbat. So I suspect that uh, the situation wasn't as dire in, uh, in the Sephardi communities. As it uh, as it was in the Ashkenazi communities, but perhaps uh, an expert on uh, on Jewish history uh, could tell me whether that uh, uh, theory is is correct. So I want to start with the tomb of Rav Moshe Feinstein, one of the Gedolei HaPoskim of the Ashkenazi community of the past uh, uh, past couple of generations. Rav Moshe was nifter in the uh, the 1980s. Uh, started off life in in Russia, but uh, um, spent uh, most of his uh, his years, his productive years, in uh, in the states. And uh, he addresses this uh, th- this question, and uh, he makes the observation that I've alluded to already that contemporary kill shabbat is not a considered act of kafira it's not a considered act of apostasy or disassociation with core Jewish, uh, Jewish the- theology. Uh, let's look at uh, what he says. Uh, so his first question is, you know, why do we have this distinction between um, public Shabbat desecration and private Shabbat desecration? And he says... So he says, as far as the breaking Shabbat is concerned, you know, when you break Shabbat in public or private, an Avmalacha is an Wherever you do it, you've broken Shabbat. the inyan kafira, and as far as um, uh, denying how Baruch is concerned, one could suggest, He says, maybe we could say that doing an Aveira in private is, uh, is worse than doing it in public, because there's the implication that uh, if I close my curtains and close my doors, even HaKadosh Baruch can't see me. And that, of course, is uh, heretical. So he says the point is that we're comparing Chilul Shabbat to idolatry because in both cases you are being a heretic. So it's only relevant if that's why you're being Mikhal Shabbat. But if it's because a person has got challenges, financial challenges, whatever it is, or, you know, they really want to go to the football on Shabbat afternoon, so that doesn't necessarily turn them into being a Koffer. That's the, the, the reason why they're breaking Shabbat. is just because something else is more exciting or, or more important to them at this juncture in their lives. But it's not uh, because they are making a conscious decision to reject the notion of our Kadosh Baruch as creator. You have to remember that uh, you know, Rav Moshe Feinstein lived on the uh, Lower East Side in, in New York. Um, it was a well-known phenomena in the uh, first part of the 20th century. Um, you know, people coming from uh, Europe to America, uh, coming from uh, observant observant lives, finding themselves penniless on the streets of New York. And the only jobs that they could get uh, were jobs which required them to uh, to work on Shabbat. Some people uh, were willing to be fired from their job uh, every uh, Monday morning when they came into work because they hadn't uh, been there the previous Saturday. But uh, others, Um, with a family uh, to feed and the like, just uh, felt too challenged by that situation. And um, against their better feelings, they ended up being a Chalel Shabbat. Uh, It's possible that uh, Rav Moshe had this in mind as he was writing this uh, tshuva. Um, A person who's come from Europe, from an uh, observant life, who's doing their best, to lay to fill in every day, to eat kosher, to uh, send their kids to uh, Talmud Torah after school, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they're working on Shabbat because they feel they have to in order to be able to survive. Do we really want to say that such people are kofrim? Such people are regarded as akum. Obviously not. Therefore. If they're breaking Shabbat, but Sinah, if they're doing this in private, then we can say, it's just uh, It's only to, uh, uh, because they feel the need to. And even without discussing it with them, if they're essentially, you know, uh, good Jews, however one defines that, then we can assume that that's why they're breaking Shabbat because something else is more important to them now. So we assume, generally speaking, that a person who uh, transgresses in uh, uh, a less severe manner is not going to also transgress in a more severe manner. So he's saying a person who transgresses breaks Shabbat publicly, even if uh, in their own minds, they're not rebelling against Hashem. Um, But uh, the way people perceive it, is they're rebelling against Hashem, and uh, therefore they're regarded as mechalel uh, as shabbat They're regarded as an akel. But he says four lines from the bottom. In came before. He Says here now in New York in the 1950s or 60s. The reason why people break shabbat is because they want to earn a living. And some many of them. Go to shool on Shabbat morning, and uh, then they go uh they go off to work. Then it's uh possible that even though they're doing this publicly, we'll regard this as Shabbat privately. The Person who sees them doing this won't say that they are uh that they're rejecting HaKadosh Baruch that they're being heretical. This person's clearly not a heretic. This person is going to shul on Shabbat morning, davening Shachrit Amidah, Musaf Amidah, and then they're going to work. You can't say that this person, or perhaps you can't say, Rav Moshe says, Esha. Perhaps you can't say that this person is a Koffer, because uh, at the end of the day, the Gemara was talking about Chilu Shabbat. It's not because intrinsically, Kilul Shabbat is worse than anything else. It's because of the, uh, the theological import, uh, import associated with Chilul Shabbat. And he says, if that theological import is uh, is no longer extant, so then the halakha might uh, might not apply. Um, and I'm sure many people are familiar of stories uh, like this. I had a, a great-grandfather who apparently... Uh, when he came to this country uh, had difficulty finding a job uh, that didn't involve him working on Shabbat. He did work o- on Shabbat. He always walked to work. On, during the, the, the week, he took the bus to work. On Shabbat, he walked to work. Um, why did he walk to work? He wanted to observe Shabbat as much as possible. Was he being Shabbat the Yeah, Undoubtedly, yes. Did he have the status of a kofer? Undoubtedly, no. He was pained by the fact that he, had to, uh, that he had to work on, uh, on Shabbat. They say that he was knocked down by a horse and killed one Shabbat morning walking, uh, walking to work. In any event, that's a very important starting point from Rav Moshe Feinstein, where he says that contemporary Shabbat is not an act of uh, kafira. Of course, the facts on the ground today, in many places, are a little bit different um, to what they were 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Um, The phenomena of the uh, shul on Shabbat morning and football Shabbat afternoon is not as prevalent as it once uh, was. And uh, one of these paradoxes in life, you know, when I was a uh, kid, you know, uh, from people were always decrying, um, people who uh, came to shul, Shabbat morning and went to the football Shabbat afternoon. And nowadays, uh, in most orthodox shuls, you don't, uh, you don't have that. Far fewer people are going to the football on Shabbat afternoon. Does that mean to say that uh, our standards of orthodoxy have uh, improved? No, I think most of the people who are going to the football on Shabbat afternoon are not going to shul on, uh, on Shabbat morning. And therein lies the problem. The phenomena, whilst in some places, you know, you do have whole congregations who come to shul Shabbat morning and then drive home. Um, I'm not talking about conservative or reform congregations. I'm talking about Orthodox uh, synagogues. Um, But uh, certainly uh, the phenomena of uh, people who regard themselves as in principle committed to Shabbat observance, but in practice not uh, committed to it, um, is uh, far less than what it uh, once was. Once upon a time, you know, a person broke Shabbat and they felt bad about it because they felt, you know, they ought to be keeping Shabbat. Nowadays, many people break Shabbat and they don't feel bad about it. So are we still able to apply the principle of uh, Rav Moshe that there's no act of kafira here? Maybe there is an act of kafira here. There's, you know, I really don't you know. I don't think I need to keep Shabbat. Shabbat's not so important to me. Now, what are their beliefs? You know, can they translate the words that they're saying when they say by Chulash Amain and know that it's a statement of belief in our Kaddos Baruch who has created the world? I don't know. So let's leave a question mark there. Let's look at uh, a couple of other um, uh, ideas. But though uh, Rav Moshe's uh, <coughs> um, consideration is, uh, is shared by a, a number of uh, authorities. Uh, Rav David Svi Hoffman was one of the last uh, German poskim uh, before the shower. He was the uh, last rector of the Hildesheimer Seminary in, uh, in Berlin. Uh, sorry, sorry, he was one, but he was the, uh, the Rebbe of the Three Deities, he was the last rector of the Hildesheimer Seminary. But uh, Rav David Svi Hoffman was uh, uh, one of the rectors of the Hildesheimer Seminary which was the Yeshiva University or the Jews' College of pre-war uh, Germany, was a very important um, halachic authority in, uh, in Germany in those uh, difficult years. Uh, he died uh, before they were difficult in terms of the Shoah, but they were difficult in terms of Germany as being a centre of uh, reformed Judaism and uh, lack of religious observance. And he addresses the uh, the question in his shelo uh, tuchuvot milamei oil, orachaim um a minion where you've only got where, where you've got a couple of people who are al um, shabbat, not just in terms of going to work, they also smoke their pipes or light their cigarettes, um, and they don't make kiddushah havdalah. Can you uh, count them towards a minion? So this is a bit different to what Rav Moshe would say. Of, most of was talking about people who perhaps tried to limit their Shabbat uh, desecration and came to Shul, etc., etc. These people, it seems they're coming to Shul on Shabbat morning, but they don't go home and make Kiddush. Can you uh, uh, count them? So he says, One of the reasons why we can say that perhaps they're not Mechalel Shabbat Farhesia, Kevan Sheruban or seeing as most people, most Jews aren't observant. He's saying, "Devishlemah im Rov Yisrael Zaka'in, It's true. If most Jewish people are observant, most Jews are observant, and a few people say, "I can't be bothered with this." Then they're waving a red flag and saying, "I don't believe in any of this." And they're, Uh, They're they're disassociating themselves with the Jewish religious community. Seeing as now most people aren't observant, in in actual fact, that sort of solves our problem. Because people think it's not such a big issue. You can break Shabbat publicly and that doesn't stop you being Jewish. If you're from, you're thought of being a Meshugana. Um, And if you're not from, to use Ashkenazi uh, terminology, so then you know that's the way everybody does it. So Rav Davidsfi Hoffman is saying that uh, paradoxically, uh, widespread chilul Shabbat actually uh, address, addresses our problems. When overwhelmingly people are Shabbat observant, then a person who's not Shabbat observant, uh, you who know, breaks Shabbat, that's an act of rebellion. But where most people don't keep Shabbat, then people don't realize that it's it's so important. You have contemporary issues uh, You know uh, nowadays, even you know in uh, in orthodox uh, communities, I don't want to, you know, go into any details, but you have got certain things which, you know, are observed more in the uh, the breach, honoured more in the breach than the observance uh, thereof, and people don't think there's anything uh, terribly, uh, terribly wrong with it, um, and that's the situation with uh, with Chilul Shabbat as well. So-
2: Um, being M'challel Shabbat. Great uh,
1: Ashkenazi uh, uh, halachists of the uh, 18th uh, century and early 19th century, he addresses uh, the uh, shocking situation. You know, we, we tend to think sort of sometimes, you know, as I said earlier on, you know, in the, back in the old days, everything was, uh, you, you know, was wonderful. And it's only now that we uh, face uh, these problems. He talks about uh, the case of a uh, a mohel who
2: was... We've lost the raft We'll just wait for him to
1: come back on. Sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm here. Ah, there we go. Sorry. got muted there. Not sure how. Okay. So Rabbi Akiva Eger discussed the case of a mohel who was with Khalil Shabbat M'Far Hesia. Uh, and he's great mile, And everybody wants him to be the mile for their children. You know, if this were to happen in London today, you know, he'd be chased out of town. Nobody would let him, uh, you know, no Orthodox community would uh, let him act as, as a mile. Ravi Akiva Eger, 250 years ago, was uh, dealing with this, uh, this situation. And uh, he's asked the question, you know, how should we regard uh, such uh, such a mile? Should we regard it as if he's, this Brit milah has been done by an Akum? In which case, it's uh, certainly not allowed to do such a Brit milah. And there's a question whether you would, not, whether you would need Hatafat Dan Brit uh, drawing a, a drop of blood Afterwards, if such a writ had, uh, had been done. And he makes the interesting observation, again, that uh, the problem sort of solves itself. He makes the observation, he suggests that there's ground to say that you're not regarded as a Michalel Shabbat for Parhesia unless you do it in Parhesia of 10 observant Jews. In terms of it's not regarded as being public. Unless it's done in the presence of ten observant Jews, um, people might know about it. But it needs to be um, uh, people who are uh, kosher to give eidut, who could come to court and say, "You know, we saw Plonyam Moni breaking Shabbat. So, see if you've got widespread kill Shabbat. This person is nefer Mechalel Shabbat in the presence of uh, of ten uh, observant Jews." then in actual fact, it might be, you know, because everybody's Mechal el-Shabbat, so then you kind of solve the problem again because um, everybody's Mechal el-Shabbat and therefore he hasn't done it in the presence of, uh, in the presence of 10 uh, observant Jews. So if you think about uh, the Jew who lives in, uh, in Limerick, you've got three Jews living, living in Limerick in Ireland, or in uh, somewhere else in the middle of uh, nowhere. Uh, So you've got uh, 10 Jews or 100 Jews. You know, very often in these uh, um, uh, out-of-town communities, you might have a reasonable-sized Jewish community, but really only two or three people who are observant. Everybody else is breaking Shabbat. They're never breaking Shabbat in the presence of... uh, of uh, 10 observant Jews. So Rabbi Akiva Eger says that he's approaching it from a very different perspective to Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Davidsley Hoffman. They were addressing it from a theological perspective. He's addressing it from a technical perspective. He's saying that I don't know what this person's theology is. I'm not even getting into theology. I don't know how interested Rabbi Akiva Eger was in theology, to be honest, but, I'm looking from a technical halachic perspective. Is this, you know, if this person you knows called on to be, you know, shem shamaim Barabin, Okay, that has to be done in the presence of ten Jews. You wouldn't have to give up your your life because there aren't ten observant Jews. Likewise, a person who is shabbat only in the presence of non-orthodox Jews then isn't regarded as makhalon shabbat Again, the realities on the ground uh, today might be uh, in, you know northwest london might be different to uh, to limerick or to nashville tennessee but uh, it's an important uh, principle to uh, to be aware of uh chief rabbi uziel uh, rishon uh, sion in israel in uh uziel krach gimel or Chaim simon he takes issue with this um he says that uh, that's not uh, that's not true it's only uh, true in uh, certain cases that you need um, to have uh, 10 people who are Shabbat observant to make uh, the others uh, regarded as being the Hesiyah. Um, but as far as this is concerned, uh, as far as M'challal Shabbat is concerned, um, you don't need it uh, to be in the presence of, uh, of 10 people who are, who are Shomri Shabbat, and uh, he doesn't accept uh, the contention of uh, of uh, the Noda Bihuta. Let's now go back to uh, uh, sorry the, the, the contention of Rabbi Akiva. Let's go now back to the Binyan Sion. The Binyan Sion was uh, also one of the uh, very important uh, German Poskim, Rabbi Akiva um who uh, lived in the, uh, uh, the the first part of the um, first part of the 19th century. And he uh, addressed this uh, question also because he was stuck. You know, lots of people showing up to shul without, um, uh, but not being Shomrei Shabbat. And he says we've got two uh, things that we can consider here. One is, as we've mentioned previously, you know, they are making Kiddush and uh, and Havdala and saying In which case, they're clearly not coffering. They're clearly not denying. the the existence of HaKadosh Baruch and his role in the world. As I've said, whether or not that would apply in a contemporary context, I don't know. But his first uh, consideration is very, very important. His first consideration is, it says, He says it contemporary, Shabbat, and this is going back 200 years. I don't know what to do about it. Most people who have Shabbat, they don't even think there's anything wrong with it. Unless we say that maybe we're giving them the status of Omer Mutar. Omer Mutar is a halakhic concept, which means Person believes that the, what they're doing is correct. That's why they're doing it, not because they're rejecting anything. They just think that this is this is permissible. They, they, they haven't learned enough to know that what they're doing is wrong. That's not regu- regarded as being quite as bad as as uh, deliberately uh, doing an avera.
2: Well, and if we look
1: in the middle of the paragraph, he says that it's very possible that Dalonek Shabuka Mumrim, Afapishema Khalin Shabbat. It's very possible they're not regarded as prostates, even though they break Shabbat, because they're just behaving in the way that they were poorly educated to behave. And then they've got the status of being a Tinnoc, a child, has got the status of a Jew even though they've never kept Shabbat their entire life, why have they got the status of a Jew? Because they never knew that it was wrong now, this is quite a brave approach, a radical approach to say that a person who has grown up in a Jewish home, perhaps with a mezuzah on the door and going to shul on Shabbat knows that they're Jewish and has gone to Hebrew classes and learned about keeping Shabbat is still regarded as tinnochenish al the bainhar Goyin, Is still regarded as being a person who's not had a Jewish education, knows nothing about it. But the point that he's making, the the, the notion that he's uh, creating, is that in actual fact, we can apply the principle. We can say, listen, does the person know that what they're doing is really so terrible? And if they don't, then perhaps we can't. We shouldn't regard them as being, even though technically that's, that's what they're doing, halachically, we shouldn't regard them as, uh, as such. That's the uh, view of the, uh, of the Binyan Sion, Reb Yaakov Ettinger. It was uh, then uh, repeated and amplified by the Chazonish in the early part of the, uh, the 20th uh, century. Uh, he says that uh, it's not so straightforward. He says you've got to address each uh, case on its own uh, merits or, or demerits, um, and uh, sometimes you know a person who's been uh, brought up—you uh, know—it won't apply to a person who's had a, a good uh, Jewish education and then gone off the uh, off the derech. But uh, in some cases, that it will uh, it, it will uh, apply. So that's a very important uh, shita there of the. Uh, of the, uh, the Binyan Sion and the chazonish that uh Sheh uh, can be applied here. Uh, the Mishnah brura in Simon Shim Peihei, uh, based on the Chaya Adam, also mentions that in actual fact, um, it could be that a person who won't be Mechal Shabat Shabbat in front of an Adam Gadol, in front of a rabbi, um, you know, isn't regarded as uh, Mechal Shabat Shabbat because again, it's showing, that uh, they feel uncomfortable about what they're doing. They they realise it's not right. Uh, but again, you know, in many instances, that I've had, you know, when I was uh, rabbi in uh, more outlying uh, communities, I would have, uh, you know, members who uh, drove to shul on Shabbat, drove home after the service, and if they saw me uh, walking home and they're driving, they would wave to me from their cars. Um, there were others, of course, who, you know, pulled their coats up uh, over their heads so that I wouldn't see them. Uh, so the ones who pulled their coats up over their heads so they wouldn't be seen by the rabbi, maybe wouldn't be regarded as M'chalal Shabbat Those who wave, we would need to find another reason to say they're not M'chalal uh, Shabbat Vaheshia, maybe because of the tinok shenishpa To conclude, um, I want to bring to your attention uh, Tshuva of Rav Osher where he discusses this uh, this very question status of mechale Shabbat in a con- uh, contemporary context, and he addresses the fact that perhaps the uh, the facts on the ground are a bit different to the what they were 250 years ago in the times of the Binyan Sion, or uh, 100 years ago when, or uh, 80 years ago when R' Moshe Feinstein was writing. And so some people say, listen, you know. Take contemporary Israel. You know, most Israelis, they know about Shabbat. You know, they know you're not supposed to drive on Shabbat. Um, you know, there's plenty of uh, information about that. How can you say that they've got the status of Hagoyim? Uh, uh, and he says, uh, again, takanatam he says, yeah, you know, it's all about um, PR. And it's true. There's lots of information about out there in the media about uh, the importance of keeping Shabbat, but there's also lots of negative publicity about uh, orthodoxy. Orthodoxy doesn't get always get a good press uh, as far as uh, PR is concerned. And, uh, you know, just people don't think that this is something they need to do. If you look at his final line, he says, you know, you can have a person who knows that yeah, you know, there's a mitzvah not to break Shabbat. They need to be, they need to recognize its importance. If people have been brought up in an environment where, you know, Shabbat observance is, you know, um, you know, something which some people like to do and some people don't like to do, but it's not binding on everybody, then, you know, they're and uh, the Rishon Tzion, in Rishon uh, um, <coughs> he says that uh, we can rely on the uh, the chazanish. and it's interesting uh, in his Tshuva on the subject. And uh Avadia also has a Tshuva in Yabia uh, Omer discussing uh, this topic in context of Shinta. I think it's Yabia Omer Chayle Kaluf Yorat Eshim and Neither of them quote a lot of Swadi authorities. It's, it's kind of interesting. They, they build their theses on the uh, Ashkenazi uh, poskin. I think it's not an issue that, as I said earlier, I think it's, an, it's not an issue that was really addressed uh, by the Sfardim, uh, because it wasn't such a big issue for them. Uh, or it was easier for them just to say, listen, you know, we can still put our foot down and insist that people uh, uh, keep Shabbat at least as much as possible. It was a much more traditional community for much longer. Um, and uh, he says, You know, nowadays, you know, we can't live Judaism like we would like to. Lots of people are influenced by the Khiloni uh, media. You know, the Khiloni the, uh, the media... Um, you know, really is to the detriment of Torah uh, belief and Torah observance. And therefore, you know, we can still say that people have the status of tinok uh, She So what I've tried to do this evening is to, um, is to show the reaction and the response of, uh, of a number of poskim uh, who uh, recognized a change in circumstances had recognized that it was necessary to apply the halakha in a a different way, not to be mechadish the halakha or not to ignore a halakha, but to uh, apply various halakhic principles. And I think they were motivated by by circumstances. I've presented a very one-sided perspective on this. Uh, I'll be honest, because um, I want... Mechalalei uh, Shabbat, to feel they have a place in Klal Yisrael. I don't want people to be Mechalalei Shabbat, but I want a person who is not currently observant to feel that they have a space in the observant community and Bezrat Hashem, they will grow in that space. Um, other poskim, for example, the Mechatam um, Sofer and um again, when they were fighting very fiercely to uh, to stop um, Chilul Shabbat, um, they took a very different uh, attitude to this, and I think I could give another share another time on the status of the Mechalalei Shabbat and come to a totally different uh, conclusion. But that's not the conclusions I want to come to, um, because uh, I think that we need to uh, reach out for the good of the people, the good of the people as individuals, and the good of Klal Yisrael, to for um, uh, the good of Klal Yisrael to be able to uh, regard these people as uh, as Jews and uh, shire to our uh, to our communities. Um, so you know that's I think uh, you know sometimes, as I said, it's the end game which one has in sight. If it's not uh, if it's not defensible from a halakhic perspective then you can have whatever game you want. But in some instances, it is defensible. And uh, I think in the, it could be that if one lives in uh, B'nai Brak and uh, finds the one M'challel Shabbat who won't respond to words of admonition or to a, uh, a welcoming arm, that uh, it's correct to let them know that they'll be regarded as an Akum Nechol But I think in the uh, more... Um, In the broader communities that we find ourselves, I think the uh, best way to move towards increased uh, observance of Shabbat is by being Makarev rather than being Merachic. And I hope I've managed to uh, uh, present this evening uh, Halachic grounds that we can indeed be Makarev. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Rob. I, I think you have done as well. I mean, I've got, here are my notes. Uh, I've got a lot of reviewing to do. Uh, that was fantastic. Really, really um, holistic analysis. So I really, really appreciate that. Uh, do you, are you okay for a few questions, Rob? We can take a few questions, certainly. Thank you so much. Um, okay, Rob Sure. I see so you've got your hand raised. Digital hand. Go ahead.
1: Thanks, you
0: know. Hi, Rob. Thanks for the share. Good evening, Rob. Um just I, I might have misheard, but I think at the start of the show you mentioned around um uh you mentioned about wine. I think I think and I thought it was gonna be in relation to in terms of um, you know, drinking wine that, that a non-Jew has touched and how that fits and with uh with uh, people who are maybe not observant. So is does all that you've said in terms of Mahali Shabbat and how we see them apply the the same rules with, with drinking wine that they might have opened or touched as well, or is it a slightly different track?
1: Um it's discussed uh some uh, some authorities uh think that the two are analogous um, and that essentially what we're saying that some uh, Shabbat doesn't have the status of an Akum, and therefore you can uh, you can touch their wine uh, you can drink their wine uh, others take a more uh, limited approach and say no it's a, it's it's a particular Gezeira as far as uh, wine is concerned um and uh therefore uh, you know, one still needs to be strict, even though um, uh, you know, even though we might, in general, apply Nishpa, but It seems that, uh, that, that there's certainly good grounds to say across the, that, that this is a, a principle across the uh, across the board. Um, I, I, you know, wanted to keep it fairly contained and not go into any detail about the Shita and the uh, the why. Um, so there's uh, possibilities on both sides of the spectrum there
0: thank you rav um anybody else got a question please put up your digital hand uh, in the meantime rav th- th- there seems to be in, in in my um in the way that i've seen it an ambivalence towards shabbat observance amongst many of the non-observants so would you say it's that ambivalence that some of these hachamim I mean, that you quoted some of these poskim that's what that's what doesn't necessarily make them that um, theological statement that they're not really making. It seems to be this ambivalent nature towards Shabbat. Is that? Listen, I think. Of
1: I, I think nowadays, um, you know, and uh, I, it's very possible that you know, uh, you know. Certainly, there's uh, you know things have changed since the time of the Binyan Sion and Rabbi Akiva Ega, but They've also changed, I think, since the time of uh, of Rav Moshe Feinstein. You know, I'll I'll share with you you know my my late grandparents, Aleihem shalom were well, very traditional Jews in a certain sense. They weren't Shabbat-observant. They both came from, uh, you know, they, they were both born at the beginning of the 20th century, 1904, 1908. So, you know, their parents were uh, were immigrants uh, and their parents were Shomre Shabbat. They um, were not Shabbat-observant, but... Um, And my grandfather, you know, uh, went to work on, uh, went to shul on Shabbat morning and then went on to work afterwards. Um, When it came to, say, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, he would always walk to shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. He would never drive to shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because he still believed that, you know, he didn't keep Shabbat, but he knew that it was wrong. He believed that it was wrong not to keep Shabbat. Uh, um the next generation down um, uh on the other side of the family, part of the family became observant part of the family didn 't become observant part of the family didn't become observant I think today they don 't think there 's anything wrong with uh, driving on Shabbat you know they' you know some people are from some people aren 't from and it 's just a total you know the um you know the the notion that people were happy to sit in shul and feel that they were sinners that doesn't sit well with uh you know modern society people don't like to think of themselves as sinners i think my late grandfather went through his life thinking that what he was doing you know on uh on shabbat was wrong he was always very proud of the fact that his daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren you know were shomrei shabbat Because I think he thought that's the way it should really be. He'd he'd failed that test. I I think with the next generation, it's not like that. And that's the big uh, challenge. That's the big challenge. Beautifully
0: put, absolutely. Uh, One last question, David, you've got your hand raised. Go ahead.
1: Hi, thanks for your shield, Rabbi. Um, I wondered what some of the posting you mentioned would think about uh, reform and conservative Jews who on the one hand have a considered ideological reason for not keeping Shabbat. But on the other hand, if you ask them straight up, do you believe in God? Do you think he created the world? I would say yes, of course. Um, so that's a very interesting question. What I think they would say, I've, I've no idea what they would say, um, except that of course, when one's looking at uh, um, reform and conservative uh, theology, it's not just a matter of a belief in God as a creator of the world, it's also uh, notions of the the binding nature of uh, of torah the uh, notion of torah min hashamayim etc uh, etc et so it becomes a, a you know a wider you know wider question could one say you know you know c- could one say that uh, yes i believe in a, a god but i don't believe that god dictated the torah to moshe and still, you know, still be regarded as theologically intact. Um, I think the answer is no. So, you know, Shabbat. It, really, what we're looking at is a person who ticks all the other boxes, but they don't tick the box of Shabbat. And Shabbat is so significant that even if you've ticked the other boxes, you fall there. If you're not ticking the other boxes, ticking Shabbat won't help you.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you very, very much, Rabbi, and uh, thank you all for being here tonight, uh, today, wherever you are. If you're listening on the podcast and YouTube, again, please do subscribe. Rabbi Rosalar, really, really, really appreciate that. I can't wait to uh, organize the next uh, shiur with you. Um, You are always welcome here at the Chavura, and uh, really appreciate uh, the education tonight. Really, really appreciate that.
1: Thank you so much. My pleasure to have a chance to uh, learn Torah with you.
2: Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Thank you.